When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Tony Greer. It's TG Tuesday. Tony Greer of TG Navigator once again joins us. Let's run through what's happening in markets right now. Uh, U.S. equity markets today rebound, especially tech and financials. A lot of names, though, are still below the 52-week low. Looks like oil's up a hair under 2%. Uh, WTI, uh, just under 80 bucks a barrel right now. And oh, by the way, Bitcoin a few minutes ago crossing the 51,000 mark. TG, Tony Greer, welcome back to the show. Ash, how you doing, my man? It's good to see you. How's everything? I'm doing great. By the way, it was great to see you in person at the Real Vision party uh, last week. It was great to have a hug instead of talking to each other through the computer, right, and feel like human beings and, and uh, you know, get the full sense of what each other is about. And that was, uh, it was great to see you. And while we're on the topic, quickly, it was great to see all the people that came out to that event. I mean, every time I met somebody, they were here for that event from another state with a big smile on their face and people that I had great conversations with. So there's just so much to be said for the Real Vision audience um, at that event. So just wanted to mention that really quick. I know it was a little overwhelming, people flying in from all over the country to come to that party. Uh, and also just so many fascinating views of the world, people who are doing interesting things uh, and who bring an interesting perspective to the work we do here on Real Vision. Well put, well put. Yeah, so Tony, uh, TG Tuesday, what's on your mind? <sighs> Man, there's a lot of things on my mind, right? All of a sudden, markets as volatility picked up. Um, we've got a lot to think about. You know, I think uh, what happened yesterday in the market is really, to me, indicative of what, you know, what the world could be looking like as U.S. 10-year yields sort of finally I'd say give up the ghost and start acknowledging that inflation is out there and likely to be around for a little while, right? It seems like so it started with that abrupt move higher in yields from 1.28 to 1.56 in the 10-year. That happened in four days. To me, that was like a little mini flash crash in the bond market. So the market's now adjusting to those higher yields. Um, with that, you're seeing the sell-off in technology, which is being exacerbated by the Facebook story and that, you know, this fake whistleblower story or whatever's happening there. I'm not really going to opine on that right now, but, you know, a big stock leading indices lower like that is certainly relevant. Um, what was what what everything that was at the bottom of my leaderboard yesterday that was down in large magnitude was a tech stock, a tech index, Google, PayPal, Twitter. Square, social media indices, Amazon, with the leader being a three sigma free fall in Facebook. So to me, that was one big adjustment to, you know, higher yields. And at the same time, you had energy that was able to rally in a market like that. 
So right there, it tells the story to me at the extremes where, you know, you had social media leading technology lower, but you had natural gas and oil leading the oil and gas industry higher, leading oil services higher. Um, you know, nothing has changed about the bull markets and energy going on right now. The price of coal is going vertical. Um, so there's a lot to think about in the markets there. There's a big giant rotation going on that I don't think is going to be fatal. But in the back of my mind, I've got the month of September weighing, right? And on a monthly basis, we had an outside reversal month in September. We ended an eight-month winning streak for the S&P in September. We uncovered an absolutely sloppy Federal Reserve insider trading scandal in September's that marked the highs to the date back on September 3rd. So these things are sort of, you know, something that you just have to keep in mind as you navigate this bull market. So that's the way that I'm looking at the world right now, Ash. It's going to be energy outperforming technology, responding to higher yields, which are responding to that inflation story that you see permeating everywhere you look. Yeah. And by the way, I should say you were early to the oil trade. This is something we've been talking about here on Real Vision Daily Briefing for a while. One thing I will ask you to opine on, though, is what it looks like. Is it 40 bips here in 60 days on U.S. 10 uh, U.S. 10 year yields? I mean, it's about one spot, one five. I think at low here we are we're at one spot, five, three, one right now on the treasuries. I mean, this is this is quite a jump. That's almost uh, what is it? It's close to a third. It's 30 percent. I mean, it's that's a lot. You know, it's a mini it, to me like a, it was it happened so quickly that that's the pace at which, you know, the market got jolted by was that four day move of about 30 basis points. And which is, as you know, is a huge move in the bond market. So <clears throat> as the market grapples with that, you've got oil bid a new high natural gas bid six dollars, you know, prices we haven't seen in over a decade. Um, this, to me, is a major inflection point in the markets. Ash, I had a chart in my note this morning. Um, that just was a simple chart of the NASDAQ 100 versus the Bloomberg Commodities Index, right? And obviously, the NASDAQ 100 has been appreciating since, guess when? The great financial crisis in 2008 when we started printing money. So that's when we started all that liquidity was going right into the highest beta stocks in the markets, right. and rightfully so, and they were continuing to perform. And then they got the, the extra bang for their buck at the top with the lockdowns where tech was the only game in town. And what's happening now is the sort of commodity complex is breaking out of this hole in the ground and saying, you know, this complex is going to be relevant and it's going to be part of your everyday life. So now you're seeing commodities dramatically overperform technology as yields jolt higher this time. So I think that that's something, that, an adjustment that I think that we can continue to see. It's going to take a long time to happen. But at this point, I think that you're seeing the markets start to value hard assets a lot more than it has been valuing the innovators for the last decade or so. I feel like we're an inflection point there. I think that's important to notice. Yeah, very well said. One question for you, Tony. There's some conversation, or at least this me this metaphor, uh, about tech is sort of the new duration trade. Rates are low. Uh, tech stocks go higher. Tech be stocks uh, begin to get hit when rates rise. Is there uh, is that overstretching the metaphor or do you see some value there in terms of thinking about it as a DCF play? Uh, that sounds right to me. You know, I mean, when, when yields are low and like we said, we've been, you know, when the liquidity spigot is on high, that all of most of that liquidity gets, you know, finds its way into the technology market just because of its nature to outperform, right? And its nature to be explosive. And so the money flows into that sector 
And it's been continuing to. And I'm not saying that the liquidity spigot is going to stop. But if the bond market is going to at least call the inflation theme out and say, hey, you know, there's gas lines over there in the UK, that's an issue. Um, they're raising energy taxes in Italy and their energy price, uh, their power bills are going to go up 30 percent in the next couple of weeks. That's very inflationary. You know, the bond market starts to pick these things up and rates adjust. So that rate adjustment, I think, is what shook the tech market from its peak. You know, alongside this Facebook story, we had a couple of large magnitude pullbacks in Google, in Apple, in, um, you know, the whole social media sector as, you know, Facebook goes in front of a hearing to, uh, panel today. So, you know, these things, you have to just watch the way that they develop from here, right? If we're going to continue to see weakness in the five biggest stocks that represent the U.S. stock market, being Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google, um, if those are going to back off with this yield adjustment, then the indices are going to probably net net go lower. But what we're seeing, as I think was yesterday, was a great example of is the energy markets just ripping the suit off and showing the S on their chest in terms of the ability to perform when risk is coming off in other sectors. So to me, that's really, really important. And that's the dynamic that I'm glued to right now. Yeah, let's drill down, by the way, into the oil trade right now. WTI crude November 21 contract, 79.21, up 2.05% on the day. What are your thoughts about what's happening in energy more broadly, but also more specifically in the crude markets? Yeah, the crude oil market, I think Brent is leading right now, if that's fair to say, the European market, um, you know, with their application of, you know, ESG and carbon, um, carbon emission reductions, et cetera, et cetera, and these taxes being implemented, everything is just ca causing energy prices to go higher from the gasoline at the pump to natural gas prices for power. When you add the trucker shortage into the gasoline at the pump price that they have over there, you've got an oil and gas crisis. That right now is the disco ball in the energy trading room that you can't take your eye off of, right? It doesn't necessarily drive every barrel of crude oil to be purchased, but it causes everybody to look at various um, storage situations and various spread situations and various physical situations and transport situations around other areas of the country like our energy infrastructure and say, there's vulnerability here too. We too are heading into, you know, with um, winter fuel burning season. And, you know, we've got Cushing stocks falling in WTI. We've got natural gas stocks falling. Um, you know, this could become a squeeze over here, too. So sometimes the energy markets can get ahead of that. Um, I feel like that that's what we're doing now a little bit. But at the same time, crude oil is breaking above prices that it hasn't seen in 10 years. And through $80 in WTI, I don't really see much resistance until a hundo. So it feels like we're still in, in, in a very, very powerful part of this move. And if you know, you consider the fact that China is supposed to be slowing down, right? China just had this big pullback in PMI that started a little bit of the S&P erosion um, from the highs. If they're going to be if they're going to slow down, then the world is going to certainly sneeze a little bit. And, you know, that's what um, even through that. So my point is the energy market has shined through. The base metal markets are trading sideways, and now we're going to new highs in crude oil. So this thing is potentially bubbling here. Boy, I have to tell you, Tony, the remark that grabbed me, we're trading at 79.22. You don't see any resistance till the triple digits on WTI? 
Man. Yeah, you know, you look back now and we're we're getting above all the bounce levels from the 2015 energy crisis spill. And I don't know if you remember correctly, but I do. But because when that thing fell through $100, it was an air pocket down to 80. I mean, it went down to 80 in about six or seven sessions. And everybody was like, what the hell was that all about? Right. And thinking that there might have been a mean reversion trade and then the price of oil got cut in half twice. So, you know, people have a memory. The stock, the chart has a memory. And my point is only that if you don't have any levels to play off of there, that with, you know, high frequency trading like mad piling into the commodity markets, but yet not a lot of speculation. Mm. If the speculators show up, I don't know who's going to sell it to them. You know, so we could be breaking out through a technical level while energy, you know, the, the natural gas markets have been positioned slightly to the short side thinking that there's a mean reversion trade going, by the way, we just printed a new high at six and a quarter today, no mean reversion trade coming there. Then in WTI, as we break out to new levels, you look at the managed futures position and it's really middle of the road to the sort of lower third of the range of where they are in terms of WTI oil length. Now you look at it and you say, wow, they might come in and buy four, five, six, 10, 20,000 lots of crude oil to get long for this breakout through $80. And that might take it to hundred very quickly because as you can see, there doesn't seem to be anybody standing in the way. OPEC isn't saying, okay, here we go. At $80, we're going to open up the spigots and let everybody have some crude oil. Absence of that, price is going higher. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Let me throw in a little color here for people who are relatively new to the energy markets. WTI is West Texas Intermediate. This trades on the New York Merck. Uh, primarily for physical delivery in Cushing, Oklahoma. It's the domestic price of crude oil. Uh, compare with uh, Brent, which is the international price for crude uh, that you see particularly in Europe and the generally uh, built in more uh, around global shipping. Is that fair to say, Tony? Sure. The Brent is more of the European um, uh, factor for crude oil, for sure, right? Delivery right outside the North Sea, delivery right outside the UK. So that's the big hub there. Uh, matches our Cushing hub here that is the center for WTI um, inventory gathering and measuring. So that's totally fair to say, as you nail it. Yeah. So, Tony, what else are you looking at here? Uh, you know, like we said, Bitcoin is, I think it's really important to notice that, you know, Bitcoin had it, you know, we first had the El Salvador dip in Bitcoin that took it from 50K back down to 40K. It was looking, you know, a little bit dangerous there. And then all of a sudden it recovered moving averages starting to look good. But to, the most important thing to me, it's been since the beginning of September, it's been a great contra to the, you know, contra performer to the risk complex. So when you look over and you see the euro backing off and the S&P backing off, you know, your relief rally was coming in Bitcoin. 
And that was really nice to see as someone that's now, you know, kind of not late to the story, but, you know, now getting into Bitcoin and learning how it's trading and what's moving it. It was interesting to see that it was very well correlated in the last several weeks to the S&P sell off. You could look over as S&P sold off, as Europe got weaker, as the euro got crushed, people flew into Bitcoin. And so I think that's at least an observation worth noting. Tony, tell me more about diving into the crypto space. I'm so curious about how you're thinking about this new asset class. You know, I'm I'm just a price action junkie, Ash, and and my one of my one of my very very few superpowers is watching things trade versus other securities. And I think it only comes from watching the same screens for 30 years. Um, but it, you know, you you get to see what's what what's how things move relative to each other very simply, and then you create some you know, uh, analytics for yourself and you can see what's changing and, you know, how things start to trend. And so this week, it just seemed really, really, really lockstep or in the last couple of weeks as the S&P's backed off, Bitcoin's looked good, it's recovered moving averages, and now it's headed into what I call blue sky trading, which means that it's trading above all major moving averages within an uptrend, which means that it can go and retest the old highs technically. So, you know, I'm really looking, I look at Bitcoin as, um, you know, I, I look at it for, I look at the spot that it's going to find in the macro markets. You know, that that's really what I'm trying to eyeball and, and see what it's going to be here. Because then if I can identify, you know, what makes Bitcoin really go, then I could figure out how to upsize Bitcoin positions, kind of the way that we use, you know, the bond markets and the dollar to tell us when and where we can upsize equity positions. So that's kind of a little bit of the uh, secret sauce, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Tony, speaking of new asset classes and another one of your superpowers, interviewing. I'm a little nervous for my job here, watching how good you are at this. I want to take a look at a, at a clip here uh, from an interview that you did with Livy McKay uh, about nutraceuticals. I found this absolutely fascinating. Coming out on the essential tier uh, tomorrow. Let's take a look at the clip. So cannabis is just our first stop. Uh, we, we will go, we will go into all of, uh, we want to go into all of nutraceuticals and actually certifying effects and val validating ingredients, uh, validating bio, bio, I'm sorry, bioavailability in supplements and nutraceuticals, because a lot of people, you know, a lot of that's just kind of hodgepodge thrown together and it doesn't actually do what it says it's going to do. Um, so we go in, we go into that, uh, also once I know the psychedelic, um, that that movement is coming so we're looking you know when you look at uh mushrooms and that kind of thing uh we'll go into that and start looking we basically anything dealing with plants medicines we will go into and uh basically build that foundation for establishing the empirical data of 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 predicting the effect and how it's going to have the therapeutic um sides on it and so what i really really envision and where I see this going, and I think Todd is actually somewhat on the same page, is that I I think the problem with medicine is industrialized medicine. It's that we put people through an assembly line and it's not individualized. And I think that we're with tech, we're going to be able to go towards this uh, much more personalized medical system. And so I'm trying to take care of the plant side. I'm going to let the, the geneticist uh, take care of the epigenetic and the genetic and the genome side. And I really hope that one day we can marry the two where I say, hey, look, we've got this whole mapped out. How can we pair this with these genomes so that eventually, yeah, this becomes something that you can 
you can own your data, you can own your health. You don't have to outsource it to someone else. Well, there you have it. We've been talking offline about how cool this clip is, Tony. Tell us a little bit more about the interview. Yeah, I mean, she was really, it's a really interesting story, right? Livy is the bomb. Her story is heart-wrenching and really, really interesting the way she has, she has led into the cannabis industry. And man, in my opinion, they are doing God's work, like teasing out what um, terpenes and what, um, you know, other parts of the flower do what to your body and your brain in terms of a wellness tool. So, you know, that's going to be where, you know, you're going to be able to get very specific about the, you know, ingredients in the product you're buying serving a wellness benefit for your body. And so I just think that that that's really just brings cannabis right up the, you know, education curve and, and up the usability curve. And so I just think that stuff's relevant for the industry. And she's doing a really, really cool job at it. So that's going to be a great interview. I'm excited for that to air. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to watch it drops tomorrow. Listen, Tony, I've got a buddy in the cannabis space he used to be a finance guy. And he said to me, he was like, dude, this stuff is so unbelievably complicated. We work with like plant biologists, chemists, the level of complexity of this plant uh, and some of the benefits it can offer so unbelievably complicated. So going through testing, teasing out the different terpenes, the different cannabinoids, the different chemicals, figuring out which diseases they can be used to treat, which uh, depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. It's really a brave new world out there. And I'm just really psyched for this interview. It looks fascinating. Thanks very much. Definitely take a uh, take a look at it. Her story is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's jump in. We've got a lot of questions uh, flowing through. Uh, here's a oh my gosh, gosh, we have pages of them. I don't know where to start. Let's just just jump in here and begin with uh, with one uh, from uh, from YouTube. Uh, this one comes to us uh, from Mark P. And this is a really interesting question, boy, Tony. It's right in your wheelhouse. Uh, how high? Can oil slash gas go before it's negative on equities? Uh, and will there be more pressure for inflation slash stagflation if those continue to rise? Mark P on YouTube. Yeah, Mark, that's a fair that's a fair point. You know, everybody knows at some level at the pump that there is a price at which they don't make that trip to Seaside Heights, New Jersey to ride the big roller coaster, right? At some point that, you know, you just go, ah, you know, I, I'm not going to go burn hundreds and hundreds of miles at. And then what's the price in your mind, though, right? As the world, as inflation starts creeping up around you and your cereal bill and your bread bill are all going up at the same time, you know, I'm going to argue right now that the gas bill is still going to be one of the first dollars spent until gasoline gets to a level that we haven't seen. That'll be the um, that will be the lightning rod or the third rail. Say we get to six, seven dollars here in the U.S. Right. That would be something that I don't think I've seen even flashes of in my lifetime. You know, I think we've seen five. And in the past, that's where people have sort of pulled back from, um, you know, the road travel and it puts a little bit of a crimp in demand. But I think in this inflationary environment, I think that threshold is a lot higher. I mean, if the deli near me is selling turkey for $15.99 a pound, people can pay $5 for a gallon of gasoline because it's much more useful. You know, I just look at the price disparities like that and I'm like, whoa, that's really that that's kind of wild for me. But, you know, I think that um, the, with the threshold being higher, I don't think that it becomes a problem until like I said, new high prices. And I think that that comes with oil above $100 in WTI. And it's a number I think that we're going to see. Yeah. 
uh, well said. What's the name of that roller coaster? Hydrus? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was trying to think of it on the fly, Ash, and I couldn't think of it. <laughs> I Googled, man. I Googled. I'm Hydra, it's right. Such a good call. Yeah. Uh, here's a question that comes to us from uh, Ralph Humphrey. This one comes to us from the exchange. This is Real Vision's social media platform. Uh, Ralph follows up with a question about gas. I think we covered that already. But he also wants to get your view on nickel and aluminum. Any view on nickel and aluminum, Tony? Yeah, I mean, aluminum is the leader of the base metal pack right now. So I've got a close eye on that, you know, as all the other base metals and, you know, everybody's got their eye on Dr. Copper, of course, as they sort of consolidate, aluminum has been able to notch new highs. A lot of it is coming from the Chinese um, putting clamps on power generation. So these um, smelters can't um, smelt the aluminum. That's a big issue, and we have to see if that continues to drive the price. So I remain bullish, um, you know, with the general bullish base metals trend. Uh, I don't have a specific view on, you know, the nickel or zinc, copper. I remain bullish and think that it's going to break out of this range that it's been in between 9K and 10K to the upside eventually. Um, but th those are my only, only my only um, views on base metals right now, if that's fair. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah. Here's one that comes to us from AB from the Real Vision website. Actually, AB asked this question yesterday from Dave Floyd. Dave Floyd punted. We'll try again with Tony Greer. The question is, do you look at COT data at all? Uh, COT data, of course, the commitment of traders data. Uh, and if so, Tony, any pointers on using it? You know, it's something it's something that I will look at at extremes. You know, you always want to know when positioning is at extremes. I don't know that the commitment to traders report has done the best job of portraying, you know, where, where how the spec length is really or spec shorts have come in and out of the markets. It's really hard for me to tell what what is actually real. It's double hard to tell when there are investment banks writing derivative products, um, you know, that are over the counter products based on, you know, um, something they trade upstairs that they may or may not hedge on the floor or something that doesn't really translate. So you can't really see the risk that's out there in some of those markets. So that's why, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, uh, it, it's a little bit treacherous to try to navigate. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Dave Floyd gave a very similar answer, basically said he looks at it, but not the end all be all for him. Yeah, it really can't be because it's definitely something that that uh, you, you, you there are points in time when you could point it out as being wildly inaccurate. And so once I see that, I kind of get turned off by the commitment of traders. I used to follow it contract for contract as a commodity trader um, when I ran the Goldman Sachs Commodities Index book. Um, and even back then, I found that it used to throw me some curveballs. And right. so I don't I, I don't let that affect my decision making. But I pay attention if things get super extreme and they start to make headlines and get around FinTwit, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, maybe that's a pretty good answer. Uh, we'll ask again. We'll ask Tommy Thornton next time he's on the show. Good point. Tommy doesn't give you a good answer. Yeah, maybe a good one from Tommy as well. Uh, this one comes to us uh, from Samir Jabyev, and it's coming from the exchange, Real Vision Exchange. 
And the question is, uh, is the earnings season a catalyst for markets to go higher or at least sell off? Or Tony, even more generally, what do you think about what's going to come from an earnings season kicking off, I think, next week? Earnings have been phenomenal for the most part, right? They've definitely been a driver. Um, you know, it, it, you know, I take pick a pick a pick an industry. You know, we can pick energy, we can pick home builders, we can even pick tech. But you know, all I seem to see is beats guides higher. All I seem to see are surprises at how resilient the U.S. consumer is. You know, the, all of those things just never seem to back off to me. So yeah, earnings are relevant, and you know they're going to help those valuation guys try to plot their way into the market. I don't trade markets on valuation at all, but you know if you're if you're chasing that valuation and you see that earnings continue to grind higher and higher, that kind of forces you into the market at some point. So you know they're relevant, um, but not you know again, I'm more I'm more interested in in price action, performance, and technicals than I am any kind of an earnings period. Yeah, more more interested in how the stock reacts to earnings, I should say, right? A lot, you know, if during bull markets, stocks will rally on good earnings, and then all of a sudden they start selling off on good earnings, and you say, wait a minute, what you what changed? A lot of times, that bear that is a bear market that has arrived. So, yeah, we'll once again, happens. it's that false negative signal that you're just talking about with the cot data, right? So very interesting uh, stuff there. Bank earnings kicking off next week, right? Yeah, sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah. So Tony, we got a couple of minutes left. Rather than go through uh, one more question, let's give the time to you, Tony. Final thoughts, what are you thinking about right now? Uh, and what are you gonna be looking at between now and next week? It's a good question, Ash. You know, we are, we're soaring into, you know, the beginning of October here. We've got a long month ahead of us. There's no exchange holidays in October. So it is just, you know, packed with five days of price action every week. A lot can happen. You know, there's there's I see a lot of volatility across, you know, across the country. I see a lot of volatility in, you know, American attitudes toward the the vaccine, toward covid. And I don't want to talk about that stuff because I'm a market guy. I'm just saying I'm kind of watching that social cultural overlay right now because I think it's really important, especially against the backdrop of an S&P that makes its high against the backdrop of a Federal Reserve insider trading scandal, right? You know, that's something that can break confidence in markets. And while I remain a secular S&P bull, I've got to be in a position to buy the dip to the 200-day moving average should that happen. 200-day moving average is down at 4,100. That's 200 and something points below here. And as a trader, you know, you don't want to wear all your whole book down 200 S&P points because you put you on your heels when you're trying to buy something, you know, so I'm just being very careful that, um, you know, I'm very energy centric right now and in the sectors that are rallying and staying away from the ones that aren't and really just trying to gauge whether or not that top in the S&P in September that ended the eight month winning streak that turned into an outside reversal day down doesn't turn into something more significant. Right. That, you know, it's just a risk in the back of your mind as a bull. It's that is your risk. You know, that is your risk is that we hit some kind of a sentiment top. We stubbed our toe on something ugly. And all of a sudden it broke confidence in the U.S. markets. And then Facebook broke down with this questionable scandal that's going down. Right. And you could see a domino effect start to happen. You know, big tech could take out a couple of moving averages. And next thing you know, the Nasdaq's pulled back 15 percent. Right. And you, and you wonder if equity bulls are going to hold on to it, to, to what they purchased this year, 
through an event like that. So coming into the end of the year, it's treacherous, Ash, but nothing that we can't navigate. We're lined up in the energy space. We're lined up with that trade beautifully right now. And so I'm really just hoping that that pays us into the end of the year and the rest will sort itself out. Yeah, such great points. I'm also really curious to see how much of this is idiosyncratic risk to Facebook, because by the way, you see the same price action, same pattern in Goog. Yeah, so exactly. And in Microsoft and in Apple, right? They're, they're having issues yep. struggling into this higher rate regime is the way I'm looking at it. So as I look at the bond market, which sold off in the last couple of days, if that sell-off continues, look for tech to sell off, to, excuse me, the tech sell-off to continue. And um, it, I think this energy rally strength slash crisis overseas is something that is going to be with us for some time to come. So that's where I'm really trying to dial in for the next couple of months, Ash. Yeah, the only difference on the chart, uh, when I look at the five days of Apple, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, and Facebook, is you don't see the recovery on Facebook today. <laughs> Not much, not much of one, right? We'll see how that story works out. It seems, it seems shady to me that this whistleblower is the first whistleblower that's getting a red carpet ride from the mainstream media where they're usually, you know, deplatforming all the other whistleblowers. So something's up. Facebook went down, you know, while this is all going on, there's something major going on. We may never know the truth, but we'll watch the markets for as much truth as we can get our eyes and hands on, right? Yeah, it looks like close at 332, low of the day. Uh, or actually, I should say low from the sell-off yesterday uh, looks like uh, about 323, so about 10 points up off the lows. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a relief rally off of yesterday's low, but it was an inside day today, which is interesting for, you know, for technical, like, floor old floor guys. An inside day is when today was range. The high and the low is within yesterday's range, which is a bigger range. So what you want to do as a trader is be really careful when that, Extreme, when yesterday's extreme breaks on either side, the old rule book used to be on a day when an inside day range broke, you used to go with it through a low or through a high. And you used to see a lot of serious follow through created just by people following that rule. It doesn't work as much anymore, but I still would pay attention at the extremes in Facebook tomorrow. Man, a perfect TG Tuesday. Couldn't end on a more old school note. We started macro, we end micro talking about the floor. I love it. Ash, you're guiding this conversation beautifully. Our Sherpa, thank you so much. <laughs> Tony, I should say, I couldn't be happier to be back doing this with you. It's a blast. Yeah, man, we got another stretch to do right in October, right into Thanksgiving, man. So let's pay attention and see if we can get these markets right. Let's do a Cal Ripken streak, man. 100%. Pete Rose hitting streak, I like to call it. <laughs> Tony, thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching, everybody, and thanks for the questions. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.